Well, amen. Wow, that was good. Let him enter in, amen. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to move quickly today. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. A very familiar passage when it comes to the Christmas story. And when we use the word story from the Bible, it's an account. It's not just a story as we understand stories today. It actually happened, really happened. And it's not just a mere uh, story, so to speak. Now, starting in chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now again, we've been dealing over the last couple of weeks concerning this issue of you can believe too. You can believe too. And we've been noting a couple of things along the way. First, we know that the world itself is in opposition to Jesus Christ and, and overall has sought to try to, I guess, um, discard Christmas in one sense or another. Now, I know we still celebrate Christmas, but it seems to me, at least from my perspective, that less and less emphasis is being placed on Him, Jesus. More and more emphasis is being placed on us in presence. And I, I feel that it's important that we don't forget what the real reason for the season is. And that's none other than Jesus Christ and his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the fact that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, again, we started talking about some things or proofs, if you will, of Christ's existence. And we said, first of all, the word of God. And we talked about the word and we said its pedigree, its prophecies, its preservation all point to the reality of Christ and his existence. That he was a literal person that lived in those days. That Jesus Christ actually walked the face of the earth. Then we turned our attention from the word of God and we said let's consider some of the writers. Some of the ancient writings even of these writers. These secular historians is who we really kind of turn to more than anyone else. And we considered the writings of Josephus and Pliny, Lucian, Tacitus and even some basic things out of the Talmud. And, and from those sources we, we recognized, and they were non-Christian sources mind you, we came to the conclusion that they corroborate the reality of Jesus Christ again. They point to someone that literally walked the face of the earth that existed 2,000 years ago, that lived, breathed, just like we do today. Today, we want to focus our attention on this idea or the concept of the witness, the witness of the faith, the witness of believers, if you will. And I want to kind of address it from a couple of different perspectives, and I want to look at it from the witness of death. The fact that there were those through history that have literally laid down their lives for Jesus Christ. I want to ultimately discuss and talk about the witness of dedication. 
how through the years and through these centuries and even millenniums, people have continued to remain dedicated and devoted to the Lord Jesus. And then finally, that witness of delight. That as you look at a believer, whether it was then or now, we can see a joy in a believer that does not exist in that of the world, if indeed they're walking with Christ. Well, I'll tell you what, all of those things, that witness of the believer, the witness of their life, the witness in so many ways, even in their deaths, points to the fact that Jesus Christ, boy, he was real. And so today, let's take a few moments and do so. I was telling the singles just a little bit ago, I I like to look over my messages on Sunday mornings and and sometimes every once in a while I'll even stop somewhere and kind of review my message as I eat a little bit of breakfast or something. But I was kind of wanting to put it all together. I had some pieces and parts that still weren't in place. I kind of had a couple thoughts that I wanted to kind of add to it over the evening and, and from yesterday to today. And so I didn't go eat breakfast today. So if I pass out from low blood sugar or something, it's not really my fault. Uh, it's just, the, so anyway, I, I, now the, the message went from four pages to seven. And I'm talking real fast today, so I think we'll do fine. And we want to get out of here at a decent hour because I know you have to eat lunch or you'll pass out too. And so we'll get you out of here. Don't worry about the seven pages. A lot of that's just a bunch of stories, and maybe I can share those in a shorter fashion. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. But I think we're going to see that, boy, I'll tell you what, um, the witness of believers through the centuries and the millenniums has truly pointed and truly points us to the reality of Christ. I'm glad that he lives. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. May you be glorified in everything that's said and done. Again, we ask, Lord, that if there be any that do not know you personally as Lord and Savior, that they would settle that today before they leave. It's so wonderful to know you and to have the confidence and surety of our future home, to know that heaven's our home, but then, Lord, to especially know that you are with us in this life, that we'll never be alone, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can't thank you enough for just the many blessings you bestow upon us. Again, do the work that only you can in each life, and we'll thank you as you do an eternal work. In Jesus' name, amen. We think of the witness of death, the witness of death. In Acts chapter 4, basically, uh, the first persecution is recorded. And Peter, who had gone fishing when Jesus had died, who doubted the fact that of the resurrection at first, is now enduring persecution on behalf of Jesus Christ. And here's this man who had, once the death of Christ came into to, to pass, uh, said, I go a-fishing. And, and we find him uh, uh, taking others with him even at that point. He, he, he questions the resurrection. I mean, he's, he's like in awe of the fact, oh, you mean to tell me that the tomb's really empty? I mean, this is the same Peter now who is being persecuted. This is the same Peter who would ultimately lose his life for the sake of the faith. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Boy, now we have this bold witness. Peter's a bold witness now. But may I say that not only did the early church live for Jesus Christ, but they would eventually die for him. The apostles would give their lives for Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but personally, I wouldn't give my life for someone or something that I didn't at least believe in. And again, I know, I know that that's not always the, 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 the sure, sure proof of something existing just because someone laid their life down. 
But the fact is, is that it wasn't just a few and it wasn't just a handful. It was a number of people through the centuries and through the eons of time have done just that. History and tradition and likeness as to how the apostles themselves gave their lives on behalf of Christ. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified in Edessa. Bartholomew was beaten and then crucified in India. James the Great, the older brother of John, was beheaded in 44 AD in Judea. James the Less was beaten, stoned, and then clubbed to death at the age of 94 in Jerusalem. Seems like that'd be kind of a waste, wouldn't it? 94, he's, he's pretty close to the grave, you'd think. But they thought they hated him, despised him so much for a stand for Jesus Christ, they figured we might as well make a spectacle of him. Jude, the brother of James, was crucified in 72 AD in Odessa as well. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria. Matthew was killed with a weapon that had a, a blade and a spike in 60 AD. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded in Jerusalem. Paul was, of course, beheaded with a sword in Rome. Peter was crucified, they say, head down by request, as he felt unworthy to die the same as Jesus Christ did. Philip was scourged in prison and then crucified in 54 AD. Simon was crucified in 74 A.D. in Britain. Stephen, it said, of course, from the word of God, was stoned about 34 A.D. Thomas was thrust through with a spear in India. Now, according to the writer Clemens of uh, Alexandrinus, not Alexandria, but Alexandrinus, as concerning James the Great, he says that James the Great, and of course that was John's brother, but he says he was led to his death uh, by his accusers, And his accuser was so moved by his courage and faith that he fell at his feet, accepted Christ, and requested a pardon for James or else be martyred himself. Both were beheaded, it says. Now again, you say, how's that? I don't know. That's what history records. I don't know. But that seems pretty crazy to me, doesn't it? Here this man that accuses him ultimately sees his testimony of faith and ultimately says, man, I'm a believer now too, and won't you pardon him? If you'll pardon him, great if not. Yeah, well, they both died. John, the brother of James the Great, of course, we know who John was. He was the one that was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, he, was, he survived boiling in oil without injury. A truly a miracle, a divine miracle. But then he was exi- exiled to Patmos, where there God used him to pen the book of Revelation. Now, again, the witness of believers through the years is, in my opinion, one proof that Christ existed. I don't believe that early on in Christianity, especially, that these men who were so uh, depressed, so discouraged by the death of Christ would have truly stood up and died for him if they didn't believe that he truly rose from the dead. Now, the witness of those believers through the years is that proof, I believe. But I want you to realize it hasn't just been uh, 2,000 years ago that people lost their lives on behalf of Christ. Just three years ago, On October the 1st, 2015, 10 were killed and 8 injured on the campus of Umpqua Community College in Roseburg, Oregon. Christians were martyred for their faith there on American soil. And of course, that was a fact that was mostly ignored by the mainstream media. In an article entitled, The Day Christians Were Martyred on American Soil, writer Todd Starnes, he begins by saying, life or death was determined by the answer to a single question. Are you a Christian? That was the question asked by an anti-Christian gunman who stormed into a classroom in Oregon's, I have a hard time saying the word, Umpqua Community College. 
Courtney Moore was inside the classroom. She told the Roseburg News Review that a shooter ordered students to get on the ground and then told them to stand up and state their religion. As they would stand up, he said, uh, as they would stand up um, and, and state that, he would say, good. Uh, if they would state that they were a Christian, he'd say, good. Because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. Stacy Boylan said in a television report, and then he shot and killed them. Davis uh, Jacquez, publisher of the Roseburg Beacon News, said he received a text message from a student who said she was inside the classroom. Quote, the shooter was lining people up and asking if they were Christians, the message read. If they said yes, then they were shot in the head. If they said no or didn't answer, they were shot in the leg. I want you to know that there are still believers today that are still, that would rather die than renounce their faith for Jesus Christ. That would rather die than deny the God, the Lord Jesus that saved them. I don't know about you, but boy, I'll tell you what, life's a pretty precious thing. But in this case, there were young people that literally stood and said, yes, I am a Christian, knowing that they're going to die. Now, that, that I know is not necessarily an argument that, 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 that uh, you know, Christ is real because one would say possibly that there are many religious zealots that have given their lives for uh, their perspective face. And you know what? I would agree with that. I would say you're absolutely right. There have been. However, I do believe that Christianity has continually and consistently had a bullseye on its back. And with the exception of about a 200-year reprisal, um, reprieve, I should say, in America... And I'm telling you, with, with the exception of America for the last couple hundred years, there's been a lot of persecution, and it's been taking place around the world and continue to persecute and even kill Christians for their faith. If you did not live in America today, and you stood on the corners of most countries in the, in the world, and you proclaimed Christianity, my friend, you would be persecuted or you would die. And I want you to know that there's never been a class more persecuted than the Christian. How many have given their lives for Jesus Christ? How many have suffered and sacrificed for this faith that we hold dear today? Look, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36, the Word of God again. Boy, you can't beat the Word of God. It is indeed the, the most important and the most uh, uh, sure way that we know Christ existed. But notice what it says here in Hebrews chapter 11. A pretty telling passage, really. The Bible goes on to say in chapter 11, verse 36, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without should not be made perfect. That they without us should not be made perfect. My point being is if you look at that list and you start to see some of the atrocities that believers have experienced, and I know that could be pre-New Testament even, we understand that, but if you would follow church history through the years, you would find that believers forever, from the very moment of inception, have constantly and continually been banished and been forbidden the privileges of citizenship in many cases. Not only that, but they've lost their very lives. 
We need only take a quick read over Fox's Book of Martyrs to catch a glimpse of the enormous cruelties that have been perpetuated against faithful men and women of God. It goes on in that book to say that they endured hanging, stifling, roasting, stabbing, frying, racking, ravishing, ripping open, breaking the bones, rasping of the flesh, tearing with wild horses, uh, drowning, strangling, burning, boiling, crucifying, immuring, poisoning, cutting off tongues, noses, ears, etc., sawing off limbs, hacking to pieces, and drawing, being drawn by the heels through the streets. These are just some of the atrocities that believers have experienced through the years because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And my friend, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't endure that unless I truly believed what I thought was real. And what I know today is that Jesus Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on behalf of you and I. He lives today, and he lived 2,000 years ago on earth, God in flesh. Throughout history, we've seen men and women Boys and girls have stood the test of time and said, I'm not going to deny Christ. He's real. They gave their very lives. Not only have we noted the witness of death, but we can consider now the witness of dedication. How people have dedicated themselves and given their lives to Jesus. Yes, many have died, but many have lived. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Turn there if you would, please. This sets the stage for every believer. And of course, we've addressed this issue over this, even the last month prior to this as we looked in the month of November at our, our theme, your reasonable service. But notice it says there in, Ma- in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We find here the, the real marching orders of the believer to present themselves unto Christ, to be dedicated and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't save us to sit and sour. God saves us to serve. And he wants us to live our lives on his behalf. And throughout the centuries and throughout the millennium, these last couple millenniums, we have watched as believers have been dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christ, a dedication that has cost them, cost their families so many times. We think of Paul the Apostle when you consider what he himself endured alone. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28, it says, And they ministered of, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, the apostle says. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. By the way, this wasn't somebody that was born into a Christian family. This is someone that persecuted Christians. He met Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. He truly believed that Christ existed. And may I say that Jesus Christ did. He walked those streets of Galilee, those dusty trails. And now the Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm willing to take it on the chin because I believe he is real. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, and fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the church. The Apostle Paul, a dedicated believer. 
One that at one point would have surely taken and, and hauled all of us off to jail for our belief, for our stand, for our faith. And yet now we find him laying his life on the line. I don't think he did that without cause. He believed that Jesus Christ literally walked the face of the earth. That he died, was buried, and rose again. The very Christ that he persecuted or that he sought to destroy is the very Christ that he promoted in his later years. I think of John Patton. John Patton was a man who was willing to face danger. And John Patton was a missionary to the new hybrids, uh, Hebrid Islands. And those islands were inhabited by savage cannibals. In fact, the first two missionaries that ever set foot on the Hebrid Islands uh, were, were beaten with uh, clubs and uh, killed and then eaten. Before John left for these islands, an old man tried to hinder him and stop him from going. The old man said, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. That was the argument that he kept using over and over. Finally, one day, John Patton answered him and said, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now. And your body will soon be laid in in the grave to be eaten by worms. If I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it makes no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. John Patton. Man, you talk about a dedicated servant of God, willing to go to these Hebrid Islands in order to reach these cannibals, in order to reach this unreached people, willing to lay down his life for a Jesus that he truly believed in. And may I say, just because someone believes in Christ, I know that doesn't make it so, but the fact is is that there's more than one, there's more than two or two dozen. There have been thousands through the centuries, and there are those that have continued to be persecuted and lose their lives, and yet they remain dedicated to the cause of Christ. William Borden, in 1904, graduated from Chicago High School. As heir to the Boston Dairy Estate, he was already a millionaire. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave him a trip around the world. You'll be lucky if you get a Bible engraved with your name. (laughs) Can you imagine that? A trip around the world. I wouldn't have trusted my 18-year-old with a trip around the world. Are you kidding me? Especially, let alone pay for it. But anyway, Borden, not that I don't have perfect kids, but anyway, he gets a a, a trip around the world. Well, as a young man traveling through Asia, through the Middle East, and Europe, he felt this growing burden for the world's hurting people. Borden just finally wrote home and he said, you know, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. At the same time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. No reserves. Well, Borden held nothing back, that's for sure. In spite of having access to those millions of dollars, he he did go to college and he did uh, train and he did get an education, but he never discarded his desire to be in the mission field. Matter of fact, during his college years at Yale University, he became a pillar in the Christian community. One, in, one entry in his personal journal that defined the source of his spiritual strength simply said this. It said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. That's a good piece of advice, isn't it? 
During his first semester at Yale, Borden started a small prayer group that would transform campus life. That little group gave birth to a movement that spread across the campus. By the end of the first year alone, 150 freshmen were meeting for a weekly Bible study and prayer. By the time uh, William Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Literally, 1,000 out of 1,300 of the students at Yale were meeting in these Bible studies and prayer groups. All because of William Borden. Borden also uh, strategized with his fellow Christians to make sure that every student on campus heard the gospel. And he also ministered to the downtrodden in the streets of New Haven. And he was a go-getter. I'll tell you what, I wish we could muster up some ambition in some of our young men today. I would like to see ambition in anything. But I'd especially like to see some ambition to reach the world with the gospel. Some of you are wondering what I just said just a moment ago. I'm going to tell you what, I feel like there's a lack of ambition in our young people today. I look at our young men, and they don't have any real passion or drive for anything. They're willing to accept nothing as everything in their lives. What I mean by that is when they could have more, when they should want more, when they should have a drive to succeed and to go forward, it seems that they've lost that competitive edge. It seems to me that they're quite content for mediocrity. Not just in their Christian life, but in their, their daily life. Boy, I'd like to see some passion, some drive, like William Borden had. Reach the world with the gospel, even as a college student. Upon graduating from Yale, Borden never wavered again. And he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. These two words were no retreats. No retreats. In keeping with that commitment, he turned down several high-paying job offers. And instead, he enrolled in seminary. That's when he would learn the Word of God. After graduating from seminary, he immediately went to Egypt to learn Arabic because of his intent to work with Muslims in China. While in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month... 25-year-old William Borden was dead. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves and no regrets. Excuse me, I just messed it up. No reserves and no retreats. He had written no regrets. I don't know about you, but that's, that's hard-hitting, and I'm sorry I ruined that for you. But the thought of the 25-year-old young man to write no regrets, giving his life to Christ. Boy, the world would say, what a waste. Here he was, an heir to millions. He could have had anything in the world that he wanted. And yet he kept himself pure and he kept himself clean. And all he had, all the only desire he had was to reach the people of China with the gospel. That's all he wanted to do. And then God takes him out at 25. What a waste. <laughs> Borden says, no, not at all. I live my life with no reserves, no retreats, and I have no regrets. Well, that's a dedicated life to Jesus Christ. That's a life that says there's something real about Jesus.
Finally, there's the witness of delight. There's the witness of delight. In Nehemiah chapter 8, turn there, would you please? Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Not only does the witness of delight provide us with proof of Christ's literal existence and reality, but I think it also has to be understood the emphasis we ought to put on it in our own lives. This idea that a Christian goes around with his chin dragging the ground, that a Christian has a right to be down in the dumps continually, that is not scriptural. That does not prove that there's a real Jesus anywhere, whether it's in heaven or on earth. Well, I'll tell you what, when people see the life of a believer, they ought to see somebody that lives a life of delight. Nehemiah 8.10, and he said unto them, go your way. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Man, as a believer in a sense, and I know this is an Old Testament passage, it's not dealing directly with the church, but may I say in application, we're to go our way, we're to eat the fat, we're to drink the sweet. We've been given so many wonderful blessings at the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that joy, the joy of the Lord, that's your strength. If you need any strength today, I don't care what circumstance, what your situation, you better find joy in the Lord. You find joy in the Lord, you'll have strength. didn't say joy in your circumstances in that regard. He didn't say happiness in your plight. He said you need to find joy in the Lord, and that is your strength. That's my strength. The New Testament is filled with examples of men and women who found great delight in the Lord amidst horrible circumstances. The Bible records a, 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 a very telling bit of information in Acts chapter 5. Of course, after these disciples had been beaten and abused, we read this about them in 541. It says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow, can you imagine that? Being beaten for your faith. We're not, we're not talking about, you know, with a wet noodle. We're not talking about being called a bunch of names. We're talking about literally bones broken and smashed. Limbs being severed and ripped out of their sockets. Talking about ribs that are broken and bruised. Talking about believers that were beaten here in this case. They leave there probably crippled up, maybe never to be exactly the way they were before they went in. We often miss that thought. We see them walking out all happy, rejoicing. I'm wondering how many of them had to be helped out of the prison. I'm wondering how many of them had to wait till their leg healed before they could continue to walk. I wonder how many of them had to have their arms set before they would ultimately bend again. I wonder how many of the ribs had to be, how many had to wrap something tight around their ribs just so they could breathe that night once they got home. I think we we misunderstand what transpires and takes place. We do not understand the state in which these men found themselves after being persecuted, beaten, and then released even. 
Well, they didn't die, I know, but I promise you this, they were in pain. I promise you they were suffering. And yet the Bible tells us in Acts 5.41, as they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. That's amazing. You tell me there isn't a real God in heaven. Tell me that Jesus doesn't really exist to give that kind of strength to someone. And boy, your co-workers need to see that kind of devotion, that kind of joy and delight in your life. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, they ought to say, man, there's something different about them. Look at how they're facing this. They're hurting like I'm hurting. They're enduring it as I'm enduring it, and yet they do it with a smile. They do it with the right spirit. They do it with a good attitude. Boy, there's someone or something in their life or something about them that's different than me. (laughs) And boy, what a springboard into the gospel. We say that's because there's a Jesus who literally lives in heaven, who's alive and well and in my heart. And he walked the face of the earth 2,000 years ago. He died, was buried, and paid for our sin and rose again. The Roman Catholic Cardinal Stanislaus Hosius, he lived in 1504 to 1579. He's one of the most significant figures of the Roman Catholic Counter-Reformation. Of course, we know there was a, a, a reformation that was kicked off in 1517 by Martin Luther, a group that sought to ultimately change the Catholic Church or reform it, but they ultimately came apart from it. By the way, Baptists were never part of the Catholic Church. And we're going to read about people that he speaks about that never were part of the Catholic Church. Watch what he says about Bible believers. He was an official representative of the Pope, and he, he was and a presiding officer of the Council of Trent and of the Anabaptists, he says. They were rebaptizers. You know why they were called Anabaptists? They were rebaptizers. They were called rebaptizers because they baptized people that truly came to Christ. See, the Catholic Church was baptizing infants, and most religion, any type of religion, was baptizing infants at that time, at that point in history. But these Anabaptists, these groups that had never joined the Catholic Church, were still continuing to say, no, baptism is only scriptural. Baptism is really only real. It's only really baptism if you're baptized after you've put your faith and trust in Christ, after you make a conscious choice to receive and accept him. And boy, they were hated through the centuries. They were martyred and murdered like nobody's business. This particular Catholic cardinal, Stanislaus Hosius, he speaks of the Anabaptists and he makes this statement. If the truth of religion were to be judged by the readiness and cheerfulness which a man of any sect shows in suffering... The opinions and persuasions of no sect can be truer or surer than those of the Anabaptists, whence there have been none of these 1,200 years past that have been more grievously punished or that have more cheerfully and steadfastly undergone and even offered themselves to the most cruel sorts of punishment than these people. I want you to think about something for a minute. He talks about it as of 1,200 years prior. That means that, that this particular Catholic uh, um, a cardinal places the Anabaptists all the way back to 350 A.D. You know what that means? That's before the Catholic Church. He's saying that they were always there, and they've always been, and they've been more than happy to suffer for their faith. 
My friend, I don't know about you, but that is a testimony of the reality of Jesus Christ. Again, even in the midst of the most dreadful circumstances, Bible-believing Christians have always found hope. I want to end with just one young lady that is so impressive to me. Fanny Crosby was born in Putnam County, New York, and became ill within two months. Unfortunately, the family doctor was away. And another man, pretending to be a certified doctor, treated her by prescribing hot mustard patches, if you will, to be applied to her eyes. Fanny would eventually recover from her illness, but the treatment left her blind. When the doctor was revealed to be a quack, he disappeared. A few months later, Fanny's father died. Her mother was forced to find work as a maid to support the family. And as a result, Fanny was mostly raised by her Christian grandmother. Although Fanny was born into deep poverty, although she had lost her sight at just six weeks old, although her father had died before her first birthday, although she had received no formal education until she was 15 years old, God used Fanny Crosby. You say, well, why? God used Fanny Crosby because Fanny Crosby was willing to be used by God. She lived heartily. She lived humbly. She lived happily under the Lord. Crosby was never bitter about her disability. At the age of eight, she wrote these words about her condition. Eight years old. Listen now. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Eight years old, folks. Before any formal education. I mean, this was a young lady, a young girl that had made up her mind, man, there's something more to life than just me in sight. There's something much more. As a matter of fact, she would go on and she would later remark, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for the dispensation. It, if perfect earthly sight were offered me today, or excuse me, tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She also once said, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Do you know that she wrote uh, over 8,000 poems that were set to music? 100,000 copies of her songs were printed. Songs like, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, a, shepherd in, a shelter in the time of storm, blessed assurance, near, near the cross, redeemed, rescue the perishing, praise him, praise him. These are just a, a short list of songs that Fanny Crosby wrote. 
Well, I tell you, I don't know about you, but to watch a little 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old without sight, a young woman that grows into this person that says, Jesus is worthy of my praise. It doesn't matter what my circumstances is. I delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. That says to me there's something real about the Jesus she serves. And boy, I'll tell you, how important is it that we live a life of delight before a world that's in need of Christ? Because I do believe with all my heart that that is probably one of the greatest testimonies of his reality as the world looks upon us. Boy, we have taken the time to consider the word. We looked at the writers, and now we consider the witness. When we put it all together, they provide us with a great proof of the literal existence of Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, flesh and blood, just like you and I, literally placed his foot one in front of the other as he journeyed the dusty trails of Galilee. There were literal hands that were nailed to that cross. Literal feet, a literal spear that found its way into his side. Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago and he died. Historically, he lived and died. Biblically, he lived and died. Experientially, through us, he lives and dies. May God help us to not question or doubt his existence or reality. But may we be ever more convinced than ever that we're on the winning side. I don't know about you today, but do you know Christ is your Savior? Have you settled where you'll spend an eternity? Have you given him his due? I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know what's caused you to become hard toward God potentially or maybe in this case you're just ignorant of the fact or reality. I didn't say stupid, I said ignorant. You just don't know that he was real, that he lived. And in your heart, someone is speaking to you, not this preacher, but God himself, telling you it's time to trust my son Jesus. It's time to place your faith in the one who placed himself on the cross for you. Maybe you need to settle your salvation today. Maybe you just need to come to Christ and say, I believe you're real and I want you in my life. I need you to forgive my sin and I want you as my Savior. For the believer today, will we be dedicated? Will we live a life of delight? Would we be willing to even lay down our life in death if need be? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had in your word. We just ask that you'd speak to us. And Lord, there may be those that you're speaking to about their soul's salvation. Lord, we would be wasting our time. We did not give them an opportunity to respond to that. Lord, help us now, we pray. Be glorified. And Lord, if there be any that are without Christ, may they settle that today. We'll give you the glory for it. And as a believer, Lord, may we just, Father, come today and recommit ourselves if we've found ourselves even slightly slipping. And Lord, maybe there's someone we need to pray for this Christmas season. Help us, we pray in Christ's name.